Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. As many of you may be aware, today, September 11th, marks exactly 21 years since those terrorist attacks in New York City, where nearly 3,000 people lost their lives and over 25,000 people were injured. And as is the case with momentous events like this, many of us can remember exactly where we were that day when we heard the news. Well, perhaps you also remember what happened after that Tuesday, that churches all across the country were filled to capacity. And there are many reasons why people turn toward God in in times of uncertainty or fear. I believe that there's still an awareness, despite people's best efforts to convince themselves otherwise, That found in the church, found in Christ, is that solid foundation for our life. A foundation which cannot be shaken by the events of this world. Still, that temporary influx 21 years ago lasted only a few weeks. And soon things began to return to normal. But it got many Christians around the nation thinking, well, why can't churches always be that full? Why can't more of those who are outside the church be inside the church? And it it reminded us, I think, which was good, of our motivation toward mission and toward evangelism, that we do have an obligation to seek the lost. Well, our gospel reading today addresses that very issue of those who are lost. But first, it starts out with a, with a problem, a, a huge problem, actually, at least a perceived problem. And the problem was this, that a respected rabbi, a well-known teacher, who at this point was verging on celebrity status, the one many were calling a prophet in the line of Moses and Elijah and even John the Baptist, the one many people believed to be the descendant of David, the promised Messiah, This Jesus kept on doing something that was socially unacceptable and religiously condemnable and, to be honest, more than just a little embarrassing. Jesus kept hanging around with, eating with, and receiving sinners. People like tax collectors and prostitutes and adulterers and swindlers and those who were diseased and ritually unclean and the demon-possessed and especially Gentiles, non-Jews, the not-chosen people of Israel. And it's in response to their grumbling about all this that Jesus takes the opportunity and tells them the parables that we find in Luke chapter 15. The, the two we heard today in our gospel reading, the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, as well as, of course, the well-known parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. It's not too hard to decipher what Jesus' message is by telling these parables. He's telling us precisely for whom he has come to save. He is telling us who is welcomed by God. He's telling us what God's mission of salvation is all about. In the first parable, a shepherd leaves his 99 sheep to go seek out the one who is lost. And when he finds it, he calls together his friends and neighbors, tells them to rejoice with him. Just so, Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. 
In the second parable, a woman loses one of her ten silver coins. She searches diligently to find it. And when she does, she too calls together her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her. Again, Jesus says, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And it's all pretty straightforward, isn't it, to see what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes who thought so highly of themselves that they assumed they needed no repentance. But Jesus, the Savior, came precisely for sinners to save them from their sins. There wasn't much that he could do for those who didn't want to be saved. But there is joy in heaven when a tax collector or a prostitute or even a Gentile repents of their sins and turns to God. So the question is then, well, what does this mean for us? Where is our place in this parable? Well, This is an interesting question, you see, because depending on where we put ourselves in this parable, it matters quite a lot to its meaning. Many people do jump straight to that conclusion that we as the church should be mission-minded. They jump into the role of shepherd or the woman. They know that Jesus wants us to be seeking out the lost, that we should be motivated by these parables to cross mountains and light lamps and to search diligently for those who don't know Jesus as the Savior. And that sounds good and right and noble because we know that we as the church ought to be mission-minded. And we know that the danger exists when a congregation focuses all of its attention, all of its effort, all of its resources towards serving only its own membership rather than serving its neighbors as well. That congregation that's in danger of creating a club mentality because, well, that congregation without any concern for others will slowly die. But we need to ask, is that where we put ourselves in this parable? As the shepherd or the woman? Are these parables first and foremost about our mission? Well, we will hear about mission today, but we need to first recognize the one who is doing the seeking and the saving. And it's quite clear, of course, that Jesus is describing himself in Luke chapter 15 as the good shepherd the one anticipated from the Old Testament. Like we heard in our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel, God himself says that he will search out his sheep. He will seek them out. He will gather them, setting up over them one shepherd, the Messiah, who will always feed and guide them. And likewise, it's quite obvious that God is the one, like the persistent woman who sweeps the whole house until her lost coin is found. God is the one who acts like the extravagantly generous father who seeks out and welcomes his lost sons. Both the son who wandered away as well as the son who stayed but who didn't fully comprehend his father's love and so excluded himself from the father's feast. Jesus is the one who seeks and saves lost sinners. And when a sinner is found and repents, There is a joyful celebration in heaven. So again, where is our place in this parable? Well, if we forget all that Jesus has done for us, and our assumption right off the bat is that as Christians, we are and always have been the saved ones who need to be reaching the the lost ones. If we do that and forget we were once lost, 
then we might actually begin wandering into territory that we don't want to be in. Remember, Jesus was telling this parable to the Pharisees and the scribes, and two things would have been abundantly obvious to them as they were listening to Jesus. The first is that that the tax collectors and the sinners were the lost ones in the parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. And second, it would have been obvious to them that they, the Pharisees and the scribes, well, they were the 99 righteous persons who needed no repentance or who thought they needed no repentance. And Jesus' intent with these parables is to make their grumbling over his actions stick in their throats. He's condemning them because even though they thought so highly of themselves, well, they were sinners just like everybody else. They, too, needed to repent. They had been quick to label themselves as the insiders, the ones with whom God was, of course, already pleased. And they had been quick to label everyone else as outsiders and sinners, which was why it led them to grumble against Jesus, receiving them. But in an unexpected twist, it was the so-called outsiders who truly understood their need for a savior. And they were received by Jesus and they received him in return. All the while, it was the so-called insiders who ended up finding themselves on the outside looking in. Forgetting that they too were desperately in need of Jesus. So you see, this is the trap that we as Christians always need to be aware of and always need to be careful to avoid. To consciously or subconsciously label everyone outside these walls as somehow less than us, as outsiders, as ones who obviously need to repent, while at the same time labeling everyone inside these walls as insiders, as ones who obviously have no need of repentance, Because if we ever do that, well, then the place that we end up in this parable is the place of the Pharisees and the scribes, as ones whom the good shepherd leaves behind in order to seek out those who are lost. We create a dangerous precedent when we as the church act like there's a significant difference between our sins and the sins of everybody else, acting like we by nature are better than everybody else. Like the ones who have the the perfect marriages or the ones who always raise our kids right or the ones who always manage our money in the most God-pleasing way or the ones who always treat others with respect and love, perfectly laying down our lives in service to others. When in reality, we are people who struggle with those things as well, just like everybody else. Because we are sinners, just like everybody else. Now, of course, there is a discussion to be had how we as Christians, by the power of the Holy Spirit, do live sanctified lives to the glory of our Father in heaven and to the, for good works towards our neighbor. That is absolutely true. But any time that we pretend like we're not sinful, then all those that we've labeled as lost, all those out there, Well, they begin to see us as the self-righteous people that they fear us to be. And they want nothing to do with us. The church is full of hypocrites, they say. And if we communicate with them that we're any less sinful than they are, that we need a savior any less than they do, well, then their accusation is exactly correct. 
then we are acting like hypocrites. Then we are acting like the Pharisees, and we head down a road where we begin to diminish our need for Jesus, and we begin to diminish Jesus. Because who needs a Savior when you're not a sinner? You see, this parable is all about mission, but it's not first and foremost about our mission as the church. It's first and foremost about the mission of the good shepherd who came to seek and to save his lost sheep. His sheep that know that without him they would be stuck in their sin, lost forever with no outcome other than eternal death and separation from the shepherd's flock. It's about the mission of the good shepherd who was not only willing to seek and to save those who were lost, but who was also willing to lay down his life so that his sheep would always be safe from sin, from death, from anything that would put them in harm's way. Jesus died for sinners, which means Jesus died for you. You were a lost sheep who needed to be found. And you need to understand very clearly who you are before you can understand who Jesus is for you. Because only when we confess that we are a sinner, only when we confess as the Apostle Paul confesses, for instance, to a young pastor named Timothy, when he said the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Only when we confess like that can we ever begin to consider reaching out to others. Because when you know who you are, and you know who Jesus is for you, then you can join God in his mission to save sinners. Because you'll never say to another person, well, look how well I'm doing. You obviously have a thing or two to learn from me. Rather, you'll say, I don't always get this right either. Come. Repent with me. Receive God's free forgiveness because I'd like you to know a Savior who is seeking you out just like he sought me out and received even me, the foremost of sinners. The church is not for perfect people. The church is for sinners. Sinners who are forgiven and saved and who live in light of the gospel every day. And that's what Jesus is telling us today. Jesus came into this world to save sinners like us. Not Jesus came into the world to save all those sinners out there and we just put up with them until they get their act together and maybe think about joining us one day. No, Jesus came into the world to save all of these sinners in here as well as out there. And thanks be to God, he didn't wait for us to get our act together before he chose to come for us, before he died on the cross for our sins, before he made us his own. And that's how we should approach mission. Seeking out the lost, because we know that we were once lost too. Standing alongside people, not over and against them, Pointing people always to Jesus, who left all behind, who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, and who conquered death when he was raised, 
so that he might always and for eternity receive sinners like us. This is the message of the church that honestly gets so lost in our culture today, or maybe we're not doing a great job of communicating it. So many people out there today feel the church has just left them behind or that there's no place for them. People who are confused about what marriage is or what their identity is or or what God expects in their life, whatever the hurdle in their life might be. Now, the answer for us Christians isn't starting to isn't to start calling things that God has told us is, is sinful and harmful, not sinful and harmful. We don't we don't sacrifice the truth of God's word. That's the message of our of our culture today to change what is true. But that's not an option we have, obviously. But that also doesn't mean that the church doesn't have a place for them. This is the place for sinners to repent of their sin and to receive God's forgiveness. And I am just as in need of that forgiveness as my neighbor. And so we come together and we walk together and we approach our God in repentance and we receive his forgiveness and his help. Our Savior still receives sinners. He is willing to eat with us. He celebrates over us when we come to him and ask for his forgiveness. There is truly joy in heaven, joy among the angels, Jesus says, over just one sinner who repents. And so it should come as no surprise that God knows how to throw the best party, I say. We are looking forward to that heavenly feast in the new heavens and the new earth where we are going to be partying with a whole lot of sinners people that Jesus sought out and saved, including you and me. Thanks be to God, and thanks be to Jesus, in his name. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. At this time, we have the joyful opportunity to confess together 